Main Street to Wall Street. Global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. In today's ever-changing environment, how do businesses compete with all the digital tech giants to thrive? I'm going to tell you, today's guest is someone who's built a career studying disruptive business and exponential technology trends and will address which companies will thrive and which ones will get crushed by the tech giants. Ray Wong is the principal analyst, founder, and chairman at Constellation Research. His latest book, which was released just last month, is titled Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in a World of Digital Giants. He is also the co-host and co-founder of Disrupt TV, a weekly enterprise tech and leadership webcast. And guest hosting for me today is Trisha Ben, the Chief Community Officer of the C-Suite Network. Welcome, Ray. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Trisha. Really thrilled. Now, I told you I have been listening to every word in your book, and I am so excited for this conversation because this is the heart of the world we all live in now, whether we want to or not. So it's time head out of the sand. I want to first congratulate you on the book and love the audacious poke at this is where we are and what we need to be thinking about as we move forward and thrive, not just survive, but thrive. And that's certainly been our anthem of everything since COVID. We're not going to just survive. We're going to thrive here in the C-suite. So we couldn't have greater alignment. And then in the book, you really, co- you know, really poke into, really, really tighten into understanding the four key changes, what you call the four key changes in the digital world. What are those? Could you share them with everybody here? And, and why did you really key into those four? Yeah, a couple of things happened. Uh, we started looking at digital transformation in 2010, and it was one of the areas we thought were gonna, was going to be interesting and hot. It didn't turn out to be that way until about 2017, 18, where everybody started doing it. People had digital channels. They worked okay. They didn't really have digital business models. And very few people understood how to monetize digital. And that created the situation we have today, where people kind of have channels that cannibalize existing operations. And you wonder why that's happening. And then you wonder, okay, well, what are we trying to sell here? At the same time, though, a class of companies that were built in 2010 or 2000 on were outperforming the market. And we were trying to figure out why. And you know, if you look at the digital giants, your Fangs and Microsoft, you know, the market cap was about $2 trillion in 2017. Today, the market cap uh, as of, well, probably not today, as of like you know, a week ago, right? the market cap is sitting at $10 trillion. So in a span of less than four years, these companies have quintupled right, in terms of market cap. And, and, and that tells you, okay, something else going on. But the other challenges still remain. Like If you're a publicly traded company, if you're out there trying to compete as a small business, what was going on was your shareholders and stakeholders of the large global 2000s were basically taking cash out of your company through share buybacks, dividends, getting you to do mergers and acquisitions, and stripping you of that cash for innovation so that they could go invest in a startup and hedge against you. Right? And, and that didn't make for a good scenario. And then the last piece was the fact that you know you need to hit 15% return or more to be able to stay even because of the amount of money that we're putting into the market, right? So your cash reserves are being devalued 
right? And so investors expect at least a 30% return if you want to be seen as, as a company that's growing and, and have all those privileges that are around it. So, so now you have this situation where it's like, oh, okay, everything's stacked against you. These new companies are doing something differently. This digital transformation thing doesn't work. So what do we do? And, and so the book talks about what are the digital giants? How do you build one? Talks about how do you partner in those ecosystems? Not everyone's going to be able to build a digital giant. And then the last part really talks about what can we do before it gets too late to fairly regulate and understand when to apply regulations to these digital giants? I love it. And there's so much there to tap into. And the whole notion of how we monetize against all of this landscape that you just surgically lay out. And, and, and it's just brilliant. I cannot recommend the book enough in terms of how you're thinking about your strategy, whether you're an enterprise-sized organization, and I came from three enterprise-sized organizations, or you're building your business and scaling it through the various stages. You mentioned about the DDDNs, right? The data-driven digital networks. Can you just walk us through what that means and how it does impact what we are doing and how we succeed in, in building our businesses, whether we are you know, an influencer, a small to mid-sized business, or that enterprise-sized organization? Yeah. If you're reading the book, you're seeing DDDNs and you're like, what is this thing? right? So at the most simplistic level, it's a 100-year platform that takes data and insights and turns that into a competitive advantage. right? Those are the platforms. Those are the networks that are out there. If we were to break this down, I'll use a very simple example. The battle between Domino's Pizza right, and food delivery apps shows you exactly what's going on. Domino's is the poster child of digital transformation. They've done everything right. You can... I don't know. There's like 17 to 18 different ways to order a pizza. You can track the status delivery of the pizza. right? You know it's 10 minutes away. You know it's 5 minutes away. You can take a picture of the pizza send it to the AI bot, and they will tell you exactly how the pizza is doing. Right? Like, like your franchisee missed this or this quality of the pizza. They have that capability. But what happened during the pandemic? Small businesses all around the world couldn't do delivery. They gave up the delivery and gave it to a customer. Right? They took their customers and said, hey, let's give my customer to a partner and they'll do the delivery. So the food delivery apps basically were handed over the customers of individual restaurants. They got the credit card information from there. And suddenly, the first place you go to order food is through a food delivery app, not the restaurant, not Domino's. Right? So the first thing that happened was the disintermediation of the customer account control. That was gone. Okay. So now, instead of having thousands of customers like a small restaurant would, they now have millions of customers. And so that's the second thing. They've built a network. Right, And this network is so powerful because what we're doing is we're competing on the third thing, which is data supremacy. Right, And it's the interaction of an individual, like a customer with an order inside a large network that gives you that artificial intelligence that tells you how to predict things because you need lots of volumes of transactions to get to the right precision decisions. And once you have that, you can do the fourth thing, which is really the digital monetization, ads or search or goods and services or memberships and subscriptions suddenly come out alive. And then here's the kicker that makes these digital giants different is they can lose hundreds of millions of dollars and their shareholders don't care so long they have long-term growth and so long they have growth in the story. right? And, and, and that's why it's very different. So, so Domino's Pizza, the poster child of digital transformation, they took their stock from $3 in 2009 to 300 some in 2019, is now under attack by you know, food delivery apps and ghost kitchens because I don't know, Trisha, how often do you order pizza? Once a week? Once every month? I mean, 
Yeah, it's I, let alone in the category. You that's that category is only like a, a limited category for you know certain demographics. And then how often do you order from food delivery apps? People may have ordered at least once a day. Some people ordered twice a day. And, and so you can see that mismatch already. They're getting more data, higher quality data. They're getting more orders. They're getting more interactions. And the small business, on the other hand, is like, that's like, oh, yeah, our customers meet us six times a year. That you can't compete with at that volume. What does digital disruption even mean anymore? I mean, Domino's is a great example. I love that. And the disintermediation of the relationship and who owns those contacts and their behavior and obviously their buying habits. What does dis- digital disruption even mean anymore? And what should we be looking towards in terms of where that next dis- intermediation is going to happen or, or what the end game is of that experience and that spend? The end game is for every one of these to build a DDDN. These data-driven digital networks are really the, the powerhouse behind pricing strategies. What feature gets rolled out when? How do you retain customers? Right? What products and services are stickier than others? Where do we subsidize promotions? Where does that supply chain you know, work out in the situation? And how do we actually optimize for that supply chain? Where does your mission and, and ESG come together? Like All these things are, are wrapped up into these data-driven digital networks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. C-Suite Radio. I love it. And, and Ray, I know we're going to be having a conversation about that relative to C-Suite. And, and so, you know, our audience, we are executives, we're business owners and investors and influencers. Where do you see the opportunity to really compete and create the monetization that each of us wants to see as we're developing our businesses? Where should we be focused in terms of that scalability and that capture of the monetization and the future behavior that we're likely to see? I am super excited about the opportunity that's out there. You have to go find your biggest network, whether it's members or subscribers or devices connected. When you find that biggest network, that's where your opportunity is. And what you're trying to find is what is that transaction? What is that piece of data that gets automated? It's collected automatically, it's analyzed automatically, and it drives the rest of your your business. Building that network is super important. The second thing is you have to understand what game you're playing. You know, no knock on Walmart if they're on this call, but like it took them like up until last year or two years ago to figure out what business they really were in. And not that Walmart doesn't know that they're in commerce, but in the sense of competition with Amazon, it was completely confusing. You're like, what the heck? You guys not get this space? You're not competing against commerce. And it happened, right? You saw it. They bought Jet, but that wasn't the panacea. What actually happened was somebody came to the realization that they weren't competing against Amazon and commerce. They're competing against everything in Amazon. And it was really a membership model. 
right? And suddenly like 200 million Walmart shoppers every week are now, you know, considered members, right? It's going after the Costco model in that digital world. But also at the same time, right? Walmart wanted to go buy TikTok, right? Well, what are they going to do with TikTok? Well, TikTok is an ad network that's really about the community. And then suddenly they started realizing it's the data from the networks that are actually very powerful. And that's the kind of realizations you have to have. So what kind of acquisitions are you expecting to see going forward? You mentioned TikTok. I mean, obviously, for those of us that are building businesses and this and our strategy is to sell, that creates an opportunity there. But what are you expecting to see as we move forward and that acquisition of the bases, the networks, the connectivity? Where will that go? Let me give you an example. I'll pitch you a crazy idea. And, and this is something like, if anybody wants to fund this, let me know, because uh, I, I do want to build this one day because it's not that hard. So about five years ago, I wanted to buy, and it sounds ballsy, I wanted to buy Air Canada's mileage program. It was for sale, right? You know, your Aeroplan, right? You know that well, right? 400 million bucks for 10 million users, 40 bucks a user, great deal, right? But, but Ray, why, why, why do you want to buy an airline program? Well, think about it. It's tax-free, cross-border, value exchange, funded at a penny per mile. You redeem 1.6 cents a mile, like right? 25,000 miles, you get a $400 ticket, right? That's kind of how they do it. You know, if you're Dumb enough to buy magazines, that's two cents a mile in redemption. If you buy jewelry, sports, or electronics, that's two and a half cents for the redemption, right? But, but you don't lose money on an airline mileage program, right? You can see the conversion rates already. And CFOs hate airline mileage programs because it looked like a liability in the book, like vacation days. But banks basically spend tens of millions of dollars every year buying points, right? So it's a great revenue stream for the airline. But once again, that's not why I want that. What I want access to is 762 million Star Alliance flyers because I want to be the world's number one cryptocurrency on day one. It's a funded cryptocurrency. It's not a Ponzi scheme. There's no NFT thing here for some digital thing. You are paid, right? It's a real currency that translates, that transcends, sorry, travel, media, entertainment, banking, and retail all into one network. But that's just on day one. On day two, I am the world's largest ad network. Forget cookie apocalypse. We we all need third-party data. I got first-party data. And for those out of there keeping track, I'm going to do the world's biggest ESG initiative overnight. I'm going to take the 2.2 billion people unbanked and make them bank because all you need is an internet connection and a mobile device. So suddenly I got three big things, but guess what? On the fourth thing, well, actually, I can talk about the fourth. If you invest, I'll tell you what the fourth is and the fifth thing. But you already see three big things here. It's a trillion-dollar market cap, right? This is huge. Right? If you want an airline mileage program, call me. I know exactly what you need to do here. I talk to everybody. But, but you get the idea. This is the trillion-dollar market cap, and we're playing on data. We're monetizing data through ads, through search, right? through memberships, through subscriptions. We have digital goods, digital services. Once you build that network, you go add a big retailer to the top of it. Now we're going to expand it. You go add like you know, USAA right? on top of it, right? or add another large group like AAA. Suddenly, you have massive membership. And then we're back to Canadian tire meets green stance. But hey, you'll get that inside joke. All right. I, so I love all these Canadian references, right? So much I fun. Have some fun with you. It leads to a whole challenge. And I know you address it in the book, but when you have an enterprise sized an organization that has legacy issues, the bureaucracy takes over. And, and also, as you pointed out, money is pulled out, not put in, and disruption is not rewarded. How do you work with these larger clients that have those kinds of issues to really have them thinking to how they capture that disruption, how they take advantage of that opportunity and encourage that through the culture of the organization to be able 
to capture that. I remember, I'll never forget uh, being in a media company that owned all the B2B segments, all the B2B decision makers, and then sort of throwing up the hands to say, well, how could we have competed with LinkedIn? And I'm thinking, we owned every single one of those contexts in a personal relationship. Are you kidding me? Um, so so how how are you working with the clients you work with to, to get them to see these things and, and be able to capture it? For most of the clients we work with, it's not about building their own digital giant. It's actually building a coalition to get there. And it really starts with understanding the governance structure. It has to be a joint venture startup. Um, you can't have another division in there. They can't run it. They can't try to like meddle with it because it really will screw it up. The second part is consortiums suck and they've always failed. <laughs> so don't bother with a consortium. Uh, build a benevolent dictatorship. That's why it's a joint venture startup. And the main point is like you should have 10 to 1 voting rights, dual class structure, you know, take one of the entities and, and have them drive it. But the third part is important. You, you want to bring your ecosystem in. And you bring in your ecosystem not because they're part of the supply chain or not because they're part of a channel or they're in the industry that overlaps to where you want to go. You bring them in with the sole purpose of understanding their data value chain. We are collapsing data value chains. We're not collapsing industries. We're collapsing data value chains. Comms, media, entertainment, and tech is the same freaking thing. Whether you sell a game, whether you sell software, whether you're watching a movie, it's the same business. You have content, right? You have a distribution partner and network that goes out. You have you know, a technology platform and you have customer networks. Right. And that's how it goes. And I don't care what you're selling. They all really look the same. What I want is the data value chain around that so that I can sell ads and go search against it, or I can come up with new models of memberships and subscriptions. Love that. So you mentioned a benevolent dictatorship. And now that, you know, segues very nicely into the whole politics of capitalism. And, and you said, you know, this really is issuing in a new era of extreme capitalism and every victory is the prelude to a war. So can you share a little bit about your thinking on that and what that means from a technology, economic and political perspective? So I'm, I'm unabashedly a free market capitalist. You won't find a socialist tendency in me. Um, I understand it's important to be empathetic. I understand what those what the role that plays, I understand the need for safety nets, completely understand it, but I am unabashedly a free market capitalist. Now, why do I say that? These digital giants have shown that capitalism works and it can be wildly successful. You see that in terms of market caps around the world. You see the domination of these US tech giants everywhere. And people want to say it's a bad thing. And I'm not ready to do that because you have to think about a couple of things. One is the cost benefit analysis. Like, is your new access to technology cheaper? Are you getting more services? Is there more competition in terms of like partners in the ecosystem? Are you getting more benefits? Right. I mean, they're all happening right now. If we weren't getting that and costs were up, competitors were being squashed, right? You weren't getting a level of innovation that makes sense, right? Then we should be complaining and yelling about what's going on. Why aren't we enforcing our existing antitrust laws? But what we have right now are a bunch of people that are really just trying to seek higher office by saying, hey, I'm going to go attack these tech giants and you know, let's go take down the powerful. Uh, I mean, okay, for what reason? I mean, some, I don't know, DA and DC is like, I'm going to sue Amazon. We're going to sue them because they made all the prices cheaper. Like, really? <laughs> what kind of lawsuit is that, dude? I mean, like, I don't get it. But, but we do have to have protections. And I do see a couple of things that are important because these digital giants will at some point become monopolistic. They will become lazy. They will just push for their shareholder value. And when that happens, that's too late to put something in play. 
And so this notion of data as a property right becomes super important, right? We have titles for our land. We have patents and IP for ideas, your digital exhaust, your DNA, your genetics, right? Your personal information, that should be a property right. People have to pay for it. People need your consent if they want to do the value exchange. You want to donate your data to the American Cancer Society? Go for it. You want to have someone pay you for a pharmaceutical study? Fine. You want to get paid for ads? Okay, let's go do that. Right, but they need your consent first. There is a second thing that I think is important. I don't think we'll get there, but just like number portability that we had with wireless phones, right? With MPA, right? You could actually switch carriers. Back in the day, you switch a carrier, you lose your phone number. This goes a little bit deeper, which is the data portability that's being asked, right? Imagine if you could leave Facebook, but all your information and insights carried over to the next provider. I doubt this would happen. Technologically, it's possible, but that's the start of that conversation about how you maintain competition. But then the third thing is really the cost-benefit analysis. People really need to think through the cost-benefit analysis of all these benefits we've been able to get to. Like The reason Google Translate is so awesome is because it's free. It's setting everybody's free Android OS, and it listens, and it knows it's Canadian English. It knows it's British English, Singaporean English, American English, and it's oh proper UK English, right? So it gets all that stuff, right? Because of the large data sets, because of what we're you know, able to get from that information and insights. And we can't forget that these benefits are there. Of course, it is nice you know, to, to actually make sure that we still have innovation and, and a free market. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. C-Suite Radio. But you also talk about dynamic skills and I would love for you to go into that in terms of what that means and what we're looking for as we build the workforce and look to what that is going forward. And we've had so many adjustments over the last year and a half in hybrid models of working, expectations of, of what work time looks like and how we're integrating our lives. So I'd love for you to share a little bit more on you know, what that dynamic skills looks like from your perspective. Yeah. So the genesis behind that is the fact that, you know, we go learn a trade, we go to a school, we come out, right? The knowledge we have is probably good for about eight years, maybe five. The half-life is getting higher and higher for that information. And, and the question is, well, what do you have to do to, to keep that, keep up? And it's as if every organization right now, I mean, look at it, we have like 9 million jobs available and nine and a half million people unemployed in the US, right? Because there's a massive skills gap here or people are getting really good checks. Like, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, right? But if there's a massive skills gap here, that means we've got to solve that problem with dynamic skills. And that means a continuous learning culture is important. You have to think about you know, what are the skills people want to get to? How are they going to be successful? What do we need to push through inside the organization? And that's where dynamic skills come into play because you want to encourage that continuous learning across the board. And you want to make sure that people have 
the skills they need for the next job or the job after that. And, and there are lots of ways to do that, right? We see a lot of tools that provide that training, that the capabilities, but you got to have both the extrinsic and intrinsic motivation to make that happen. You can push people to a certain place where they see that's important for their career, but it's easier when they see it for themselves as that's important for their career. And that's where the spark begins and the support for the time and the courses and the access. That's where these dynamic skills then play a role. The timelessness of success is another concept that you raise. And as we think to that continuing learning and growing, I'd love for you to address what success looks like and what we should be aiming people toward. I'm constantly amazed at the discussion around what failure is. Fail quickly. Nonsense. <laughs> no, we want to succeed quickly and and we want to build on that success and so I, I'd love you know your take on how do great leaders and and that's something again we're very passionate about here in the C-suite how do we ensure that we're inculcating that kind of approach as we continue to push faster harder and in more directions to succeed and capitalize on the disruption that we see in the market Yeah. So a lot of this is really getting faster and faster cycles inside your organization. There's a concept we call decision velocity. That's important, right? You and I make a decision a second in the boardroom, in the C-suite, but it takes us how long to get approval? A week? A month? I don't know, a quarter, a year? Like, I mean, things just die in the boardroom if if, if not done properly. And the response is so slow. And, And so the concept is like machines, they make 100 decisions per second. That asymmetry between the machine and a human, that's the gap, right? And if you can start automating more and more of your decisions using analytics by asking the right questions, automation by ingesting that information, processing that, right? And AI, now you have a competitive advantage, right? So, so you're not making like mundane decisions and taking three weeks to do so. You're doing them in milliseconds. And that's really the game. So that becomes important as one of those competitive weapons. As we look at what we've discussed so far today, and you look at what you're seeing out there and what's to come, who's going to thrive with the digital giants that are there now and the ones that are developing? And which ones do you see? Which businesses do you see? Look, you're in trouble. <laughs> Time to really you know, stop, drop, and adjust. What are you seeing, Ray? Not all digital giants are created equal. That's kind of what we start by saying. The ones that actually do those five things that we talked about, disintermediate customer account control, compete on data, build the largest network, digital monetize, and of course, have a 100-year mindset or a long-term mindset. Those are the ones that will win. So right now, if you look at the ones that have owner CEOs, owner founder CEOs, they're, they're in better position because they can withstand the long haul and some of the shareholder pressures. But once you go below that, there's some interesting companies like Roblox. Like I love Roblox, right? It itself, the metaverse is here, right? But that's the digital goods, the digital services, the community, the network that's out there. GoTo, which is uh, Gojek and Tapotia, or I ever pronounce it properly. It's like Amazon meets Uber meets DoorDash in Indonesia. Those guys are going to go public soon. And and they are also amazing. I mean, we're talking 100 million monthly active users, 2% of the Indonesian GDP. I mean, it's like 2.8 billion transactions. It's crazy. It's something also like almost like $23 billion worth of transactions a year. So they're getting the data. They've got the last mile. They got the goods. They got the information. They got the insights. They've disintermediated the customer, right? They've got all these new monetization schemes. 
So that's interesting. Stripe, right? Stripe's another interesting one. They're de- de- disintermediating DeFi and what's happening you know, there. Starlink, we just talked about that earlier, like $99 for 150 meg upload and download, $400 for the device. Do I pay regulatory fees? Like which, which government's going to charge me regulatory fees? Like, well, okay, I'm anywhere. Do they need approval? I mean, they're just beamed in. Like, does that render Verizon and AT&T useless? Pretty much, right? In the long run. So it's crazy stuff like that. You're like, oh, okay, this, this is wonderful. So, so we've got lots of different examples of companies that are going to be the next digital giants because they're getting that right. Love it. So uh, one last question, then I'm going to hand it over. So as the co-host of Disrupt TV, you are uh, right in there in the thick of all of these types of conversations with leaders all across the board. What is the, the, the biggest thing you've learned through that? We're, we're huge believers in content here, as you well know, with our C-suite TV, C-suite radio, our, our digital content and our community of conversations and education and so on. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from leading that podcast and the conversations you're having there is. Oh, we're having fun conversations. Vala and I really wanted to get like folks together. It started out me just wanting to figure out how to get outside in conversations to my team. Vala was available. We decided to do a podcast. And yeah, I mean, we've learned so much over the last 18 months. I mean, it's everything from what it's really like to do remote work or what it's like to be under a cybersecurity attack and being held up for a ransomware to what are we going to do to vaccines versus variants? It's all these different types of topics. And they have a common theme, which is really about like, you know, it's thinking about tech for good. It's thinking about the real world problems that are impacted by where enterprise technologies are. We had like the Zook guy the other day, who's the chief innovation and safety officer the guy that's uh, building the autonomous vehicles, right? So, so lots of fun stuff, really talking about where the edge of technology, where the edge of society is. And we've got great authors that popped up. We even had like the prime minister of Australia was there, Malcolm Turnbull and his wife, Lucy Turnbull, who's also the, the, like, was the mayor of Sydney, right? So, so just different types of folks pop in all the time. We'll, we'll get you on too as well soon. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.